Hi, guys, and welcome back to the IBS Freedom Podcast. I'm joined by this stranger that nobody knows. Just hey, guys. Kidding. It's Amy. <laughs> but give me until like the 100th episode, and it's going to be so awkward. It's going to be great. But anyway, you guys know who we are. I'm Nikki. This is Amy. We're going to talk to you about all things IBS, nutrition, etc. related. And today we're bringing to you kind of a, a mini episode. And mini for us, it's going to be like 40 minutes. But it's it's mini to us because we have another episode this week where we're going to talk to Bree, our contest winner from a couple of weeks ago over the new year. But in this episode, I was texting you the other day, Amy, and I said... I think like nutrition dogma would be a really fun, fun one to play with. And I proposed this lens of kind of two flavors of nutrition advice right now, particularly as it pertains to the internet and like media and books and that kind of stuff. I think like people in clinical practice might not be this extreme, but I think that to lead us off, I'm going to propose my hypothesis. And that is that there's the world of nutrition Let's just say for the internet, but also lump in books and media. But let's say you look at like a nutritionist or a functional doctor's blog or Instagram. There's two directions I see that people take. It's either the world of uh, like ultra, ultra, ultra hardcore, right? Like you should never see a molecule of sugar again. Like don't have it in your house. Don't have it in like your personal bubble. Don't, don't go to stores that sell sugar, like really hardcore, like never again intense. And it can be that way with grains or gluten or fat or animal, whatever. Like it runs the gamut. But I've seen that variation of like ultra extreme. And then there's the other world, which is kind of the opposite in some ways, where it's like, oh, nutrition is hard. It's so hard. And let's just try to make it easy on everybody. And there, there, there. It's okay. We'll make it easier on you. And like kind of make it palatable to people in a weird way. Kind of food pun kind of intended. And I see that either as like like the diabetes magazines. I don't know if you've seen those much, but like the diabetes magazines type things where it's like, did you know you could make muffins without oil? Just swap out uh, what is it they always put in? What, just swap out applesauce and you're good to go. And it's like, it's still not healthy, man. Um, there's like that, you know, single ingredient swap out kind of like bada bing take. And then there's the like the nutrition template world where it's like nutrition is hard. You don't want to think about that hard stuff. Just follow our template like paleo or AIP or vegan, whatever it is. You don't have to think about it. As long as it's vegan, you're good. Or as long as it's paleo, you're automatically good. And it kind of, I feel like a lot of those templates kind of try to take away the thought process from nutrition. And that's one of the ways that they can kind of lead people astray. But that that is my hypothesis. Two flavors of nutrition dogma that you see on the internet. Now I will kick it off to the actual like dietitian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think there were a couple thoughts that I jotted down when you were talking. I think the sugar thing is a really interesting one that we could go go on a tangent on. I don't want to go too crazy with it. But I think like the the thing that comes to mind when I hear the sugar argument is like what's that I feel like it's something like it, it causes us the same dopamine response as drugs like have you heard that yeah yeah you know it, it's in 
again, I, I think whenever you're comparing sugar to drugs, that's a little bit extreme in my mind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think a lot of the people that are very anti-sugar make that association a lot. Like I always find that they're saying like, oh, it's addictive and like the devil essentially. And again, that, that just seems way, way extreme. Like what you're saying, just kind of in the other side of things. And then they're you if you don't have a perfect diet then it's like you're doomed yeah you're doomed um you're gonna have a chronic disease you're gonna you know uh, die early or something like that like there's always it's always very fear-based i feel like Mm -hmm. um and i think you're exactly right there's a level of critical thinking that you have to figure out and i i also think it just comes down to figuring out what works for your body and a lot of the diet dogmas Mm -hmm. take you out of the equation and like your experience with the food out of the equation it then becomes hey you just follow paleo and this is the perfect diet for you end of story and then yeah end of story you're not really analyzing how you're doing on paleo and a lot of times what you'll get from the paleo or vegan or whatever the the keto i mean they all do this right carnivore Right. And what you'll get when you're questioning it or if you're if you're on any message boards or things like that, if you say like, oh, I'm, I just like really don't feel as good on this. It's usually like, well, you're doing it wrong. You have to do it this way. You know, yes. it, it goes a step further of trying to kind of continue to disconnect you from mm-hmm. how you're doing, how you're feeling. And well, I think there's, there's the us versus them kind of like herd mentality that gets really dangerous in in this segment of nutrition in particular. Like the echo chamber is then like, no, like this diet is the right diet. Um, And I don't know what you're doing it wrong if it's not right for you. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, I don't remember if I told you this story. I'm going to, I'm going to spill a little bit of tea over here on the internet people. And I'm going to keep it professional. Um. I was, did I ever tell you how I was kicked out of a forum? You did tell me this. This is a really good story. <laughs> Thank you. Because I'm, I'm going to tell it again. <laughs> okay, um, so basically, internet, here's what happened was I'm in a gajillion professional forums, and I'm sure you are too, where, you know, it's like I'm in like a SIBO practitioner forum and a million functional medicine forums. And like all of us kind of congregate in there and talk about tough cases or like what's your favorite herb for blah. And, and we go over clinical stuff. And I was in one that was for like a more holistic nutrition kind of field. And in there, somebody came to the group and basically said, man, like, and this was years ago. They were like, man, ugh, this really stinks. I got an email from a former client. Basically, my memory of it was that the woman said, hey, I just, I wanted to let you know, I worked with you for a period of time. And you recommended like a Western A price, like, you know, kind of paleo-ish ancestral diet, which is what this particular group preaches like the gospel 90% of the time. And she said, you know, I wanted to let you know that when I worked with you and I was doing that Western A price diet, my IBS got way worse, like way, way worse. And then I, you know, I stopped working with you and I found like another nutritionist or something And I worked with them and I actually went vegan 
and my IBS is totally gone now and I feel amazing. And I just, I want to let you know, because I think that this like one size fits all approach is not doing a service to some of your clients and you really need to know it. And I think there might've been a little bit more of a blamey tone of like, you made me feel worse stuff. And this, so this professional came to the group and was kind of traumatized by it and was like, oh man, that's such a bummer. I, and and it turned into the biggest echo chamber. Hundreds of people in this professional forum commenting, oh, she'll see. She'll see. She feels okay now being vegan, vegan, but we know that vegan is not a healthy way to eat. And she'll feel worse and she'll come crawling back to you. She'll see the error of her ways, but she has to get sicker to see it. And oh, itty poo on you. It wasn't your fault. She's just a big old meanie. And I'm seeing all these these people chime in. And like, this is not a dumb group of people. Like, they're smart people. It's just that, you know, this particular group really, really focuses on the Western A price. If, If you don't know what that is, it's like vaguely similar to paleo. Um, way of eating and does kind of preach it gospelish, gospelish, yeah, in a gospelish way, ninety percent of the time. And so this big echo chamber formed around her, and I was, I think, the only one who commented at the time. And I said, "That really stinks. I hate getting those emails. Like that does. It takes the wind out of your sails, and you think, oh right. God, I'm like a failure, and I didn't help this person.' So I said, "Hey, that really stinks, and I have sympathy for that, but also." It does kind of get the mental juices going, right? Like why on a diet that we all kind of have our reservations about, and we've seen a lot of people go vegan and feel worse, what is it about this person and her body that makes her seemingly thrive on this diet that not a lot of people can thrive on and not do well on this other diet? And I kind of posed that as the question. And a couple of people chimed in and said, yeah. And I just, I went about that. So then cut to, I decided this is actually a good thought exercise and a good point to be made. So I got maybe a teeny bit soapboxy and I posted on my professional page, my Facebook page. And I just posed, you know, I kept it anonymous. I didn't mention the profession or the group or the individual. And I just said, hey, like nutrition dogma really, really needs to be kept in check. Like be aware of this kind of stuff and just kind of like check in with your own preconceived notions about nutrition and like what beliefs you have and see if you can be willing to change some of those perhaps. And uh, I got kicked out of the group. Somebody ratted me out to the moderators and they, they thought I was being mean. And they said, um, our group is a safe space. And it's, and this was like before woke was this big of a thing. This was like 2015, you guys. And I just, uh, they they basically told me, if you take down that mean post off of your Facebook page, we'll consider letting you back in the group. And I said, no, thank you. I'm good. Because it's like, <laughs> my point still stands. Right. Yeah. I, you're not helping this practitioner grow by just patting her on the back and saying, oh, poor you. And what freaking jerks to say, like, that lady will feel sick in no time. Maybe right. she won't, guys. Like, maybe yeah. she won't. And, you know, we don't know, like, did she have SIBO, this particular client? Did she have SIBO? Did she have run-of-the-mill dysbiosis and she just needed to feed her bifidobacterium and eat some plant foods and then she was good to go? Like, what what was going on with that patient? But I just wanted people to explore it with curiosity instead of like, no, our diet is right and her diet is wrong and brr, 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 brr. 
And it's so frustrating to see that happen because that that client was right. It does not serve the general public and it does not serve your clientele to be that rigid and think like, I know the best diet for every human being on the face of the earth. Everybody must do my thing. And it just, it was really deeply frustrating. Yeah. And I, I think what's so interesting about it too, is like in the functional and integrative space, like there's supposed to be this notion of I'll treat the individual, like have yes. customized yes. stuff. And, and again, we've talked about it before. Like a lot of times things get really cookie cutter and protocol yes. and not necessarily individual, but diets the same way. Like, I don't know why there's such a disconnect there where, I mean, most of the people that I talk to, you know, they're working with a practitioner that's like, they do keto or they do paleo yep. and it's like their yep. one go-to. And I, I find that potentially what's going on there too is, you know, you have people that are, are MDs. And again, this isn't every case, so I don't want to be too stereotypy, but I find in a lot of cases, there's like MDs that don't necessarily have a deep, thorough knowledge of nutrition, yeah. but they know, oh, paleo seems to help a majority or like a, you know, they feel like they found like some sort of, you know, diet that seems to be helpful or mm-hmm. low, in- low inflammation, leads to low inflammation. <sighs> I can't, I'm go. not having trouble with my words today. Um, but yeah, so that's the frustrating part is you know, the idea that you're being treated as the individual, you're having customized care, but I don't see that being the case in the functional integrative space from a dietary standpoint. And there's, I think it's the same thing like that you see with low FODMAP too, when everything just comes down to like, these foods are okay to eat, these foods are bad to eat. The whole composition of the diet doesn't get looked at at all. All it comes down to is like, well, are you eating paleo? But there's no look or deeper dive into like well what does that mean for that person are they eating you know enough calories are they are their macros balanced Mm -hmm. are they getting enough um fermentable fibers like to your point the person that went vegan like probably raised their bifido and had different plant foods in there like are they getting enough of them um are they eating to the point you were making earlier like a lot of paleo treats and not Mm -hmm. getting enough nutrition overall so I just think, like, these dogmas, they're so broad. I mean, I work with so many people that are, like, paleo, keto, all, all different types. But a lot of times when you're when you're in that mentality, there's still so much nutritional issues that are can go on yeah. that are being overlooked because they're like, oh, well, if it's paleo, it's good and perfect. Yeah. Inherently. Right. Yes. Inherently, it's perfect. Um, so, yeah, it's... it's it's frustrating to see, and and I think in general, I don't want to say in general, the functional medicine integrative, often, sp- often the functional medicine and integrative space tends to present themselves as they're very nutrition oriented, like yes. diet matters, which I think, again, like that's true. They, they believe diet matters, but I don't think they give it as much attention and um, really deep diving into the composition that needs to be done from what I've seen. Yeah. And I think the, I think a big part of it is again, like that removal of the critical thought process on both ends. I think that in, you know, and like, I kind of get it in some ways, like, all right, in the functional medicine space, 
there's heavy, heavy leaning on certain dietary templates. And even like if you go to certain training programs like the IFM, they have these, they have handouts. Like they literally have like the IFM recommended handout for the elimination diet. And like they try to make resources for practitioners to make the practitioner's jobs easier because a lot of people are overworked and it's, you know, we have to run a business and see patients and have a life. And they're like, it is a lot. So I get that like training programs like IFM, for example, will make like handouts and templates and try to make it easier on the practitioner. Like here, now you can do nutrition too. And here's the handouts that you could give to your patients. And you only have to know this one diet. But so many of these practitioners would be better off hiring a dietitian or a nutritionist for their practice because they don't have the time and the wherewithal and the knowledge, frankly, to go in depth. It'll be like, okay, if you're adhering to whatever diet I happen to prescribe you, you're a-okay, good to go. And that's not the case necessarily. And I see that again. I see that with paleo. Like, oh, if you're doing paleo, you're automatically good. It's like, but are you? Yeah. But are you? Um. So yeah. yeah, it's like removing the thought for the patient and, you know, like here, try follow yeah. these and that's all there is to it. And then also removing the thought process and the effort for the practitioner and trying to make their lives easier. But like it, it doesn't always translate to actual good nutrition, which is unfortunate. Yeah, I, I love what you're saying there. I think that, you know, uh, I feel as though the functional space sort of discounts a little bit like the nutrition side of things to I would say bastardized honestly yeah a bit it, it, wow you really you went there I went hey. there <laughs> yeah but I think again it just they're trying to over it they're kind of oversimplifying it and it to me it, it makes it seem like they don't really know what they're doing from that side mm-hmm. of things so yeah take on a, a nutritionist take on a, a dietitian take on someone that can help yeah. guide people in a more in-depth way and I think you're also right, too. Like, there's this idea of making things simple as a practitioner, which which is appealing. And I think people can get into ruts in if they're not careful. Yeah. Of like, oh, this is easy, and but it's oversimplified. But then I also think as, like, a, a patient or a client, the simple, the simple nature of paleo or, like, being like, oh, I just have to avoid these foods, even if it's pretty tough. Like, I think, again, eating paleo, like there is some stress involved with that but it mm. is kind of clear cut yeah it, and so it's easy for someone to wrap their head around and to do um but it still can be stressful to eliminate that much food um so it's like this weird juggling act i feel like for people when it comes to those things and i i just think the the core like i said earlier that the major problem that i see is that it disconnects people from their bodies in a way they don't trust their bodies anymore they trust all the noise from the paleo world or the keto world or you know you won't get better if you aren't low fodmap even if you want to go low fodmap angle like again Mm -hmm. it's it's that's what's so frustrating to me because from my standpoint i'm constantly trying to coach people to be able to trust their bodies again yeah because their body they've they've almost been Jedi mind tricked by this whole nutrition industry and don't know what's what anymore. Yeah. Um, 
So it, it takes some mindset switches, I think, to help mm-hmm. really get you back into the mindset of feeling what your body's saying to you, um, listening to its cues. Yeah. Sometimes even having to like look at your nutrition and if if cues are really off, like I find a lot of times in the cases of like being strict paleo or keto and there's been like under eating with some of those, mm. um, it, sometimes the cues get like way off in terms of like hunger cues and things like that. So it can take a little bit of time to rebuild those. But yeah, yeah it's that's the really frustrating point to me. It's like that disconnect that should be like pretty natural to understand what what your body's doing well with and what your body isn't doing well with it's like it it's just it gets totally missed and lost in the sauce when it comes to all the this dogma stuff well and kind of like there's almost this air of like the signals from my body are somehow less important than the the thing that i've been taught yeah right like oh i'm feeling crummy on AIP, but I know this is the perfect diet for autoimmunity and I just need to steer the course. And it's like, so you're kind of teaching yourself that this external source of information is more valuable than what your body is telling you on some level, whether it's conscious or unconscious. Yeah. Um, And yeah, it can be, it, it's a really funky place to try to like take somebody out of that world because it really becomes a part of you and it's right. like really deeply entrenched um and again like i i could see on the one hand like not everybody wants to like log their macros and log all their food all day every day but i i can't even finish the thought i don't know where i was going with that but what i'll share is have you read any of michael Pollan's stuff or are you at all familiar with his stuff yeah i'm familiar with him i know you you love him yeah, which I love his general boy. the ideas I do know of him. I, I really like his stuff. Yeah, and I feel like the irony is like, again, you have these different outlets of like, you know, Diabetes Magazine just saying just use applesauce instead of oil in your you know in your cu- cupcakes, um, and then you have the world of like, don't think about nutrition as long as it's paleo, you're good, or as long as it's vegan, you're good, and you have this like just general tone of trying to make nutrition more palatable or more easy for people. But I feel like the irony is that you can make nutrition really easy and intuitive and not a pain in the ass. And that's one of the things that I like Michael Pollan for is, you know, his, his shtick from the covers of his book, eat food, not too much, mostly plants. And then throughout the books, he goes through like what all of those things mean. So like eat food, not modified food, like products, like a pop tart is not food, but like cucumbers are food, for example. So he'll kind of go through what all those things mean. But that's oftentimes where I'll send people like, you know, I remember this guy, he was doing, he, he had done paleo, I think, and keto, and he had eventually landed on carnivore. And he literally, he was like, I don't know what to eat. I don't know what to eat. Because when he did carnivore, he didn't poop for a month. Yeah. A month. Yikes. And he did carnivore for three months. He pooped three times in three months doing carnivore. Ooh, but he was like, okay. I don't know what to believe because like oxalates are bad and histamine is bad and grades are bad and also legumes are bad and, and like 
phytate is bad and he just he's like all entrenched in all the stuff and he just shrunk his diet down to carnivore and he was like i don't know what to eat i don't even know if this is healthy and i was like it's not healthy but <laughs> like but right. that was one of the things like i very frequently will send pe- people links to michael pollan speaking on youtube like talks that he's done where he just kind of t- brings brings nutrition up in like a very laid back chill but really practical way of like you know it, it doesn't need to be this thing full of dogma it's literally just like eat actual food and that's kind of all you need to worry about in a way so i just find that like all of these attempts to make nutrition easier or more palatable are kind of in vain and then somebody has has done this years ago and he he brought it to the world really eloquently he wasn't the first he won't be the last but i just really like a lot of the ways that he put stuff in his books and i know there's a term i don't think he coined it but he mentions it in the book and that is the term nutritionism like this belief that you don't know about nutrition and therefore you need experts like us to teach you about nutrition because it's like this scientific difficult thing and like normal people can't possibly understand nutrition so you need to pay us the big bucks to tell you what to eat and you know it not that i like don't want to have a job but also (laughs) i feel like most people actually intuitively know what to eat when they get through the layers of bullshit and trauma and dogma and stuff that's been placed upon them over the years of working with practitioners or just being on the internet uh, or being sick right and i even think like just diet dogma too like the diet culture and all that stuff i mean you you grow up hearing like lower calorie so and that's from the vein of i see a lot of under eaters like i think there is like this natural tendency to think oh if you're low calorie that's healthy Mm -hmm. um or that you're you know you're eating lower calorie foods and if you then swap to like a whole foods diet that's usually a higher volume compared to like processed foods sometimes people can be under um under eating because there's been those like diet culture dogma stuff in the mix since they were younger and things like that so i think you're totally right though i mean nutrition we used to not have like a science of nutrition you know like we didn't have dietitians forever like what did people do before dietitians i feel like that is family right and i think that um one of the funny things about like that you're mentioning Weston A. Price stuff. Like, I mean, his research is really interesting, kind of proves that people can have all different varieties of foods yeah. that they're eating and still not really have chronic disease as long as the foods are nutrient dense. Um, yeah. So it's, you're right. It's been overcomplicated uh, in, you know, trying to sell you certain diets and certain ideas mm-hmm. that that aren't, overly helpful and that don't that kind of instead of putting faith in your body and your how you feel when you're eating a certain way you put your faith in these diets and that's kind of hard for the experts right it's hard to unwind once you've you've done that yeah well and you're kind of surrendering or surrendering your power to those people yeah like yeah like i don't trust myself anymore i don't feel like i have the power to make this decision 
I'm going to hand the power over to, you know, Chris Cresser or whoever it might be. Yeah. No offense to Chris Cresser. But like, you know, whatever celebrity is endorsing whatever diet you want to embark on. And yeah, it's just, it's a lot. Like that's a big kind of foundational thing. Like when you surrender your power to another entity or another yeah. human being like that, that changes you down to the bone, I feel like on some level. And that's why it's so hard to pull people back out of that mentality, because it really is a very deep shift when you make that unconscious choice to surrender that to somebody else. And it's kind of like you have to, you have to have the kahootes to say, no, I'm going to, I'm going to take this back from this imaginary person. And like, I'm going to start making these choices myself. I'm good enough. I'm strong enough. I'm smart enough. And so there's kind of like a self-confidence element to it too, sometimes. Um, For sure. You have to be able to trust yourself. Um, and I wanted to say trust your gut, but sometimes people yeah. in, in our circles don't <laughs> don't yeah, trust their well, gut. That's a whole other thing we could talk about another day too, is like actually trusting your gut and having some empathy for what your digestive system is going through. Um, right. And trust that right. it is trying to do the right thing. But yeah, I think... Um, I think that there's, and I've said this before, I think that there's a lot of practitioners who are very well-intentioned, but maybe not well-equipped. Like, again, like, you know, you picture the functional medicine doctor, and even, honestly, you said MDs. I would lump in most functional doctors. Like, I got another certification in nutrition, but most people who practice functional medicine, including chiropractors, including acupuncturists, including, you know, um, I'm going to leave somebody out and they're going to be pissed now. I mean, like DOs, NPs, PAs, like none of us have as much nutrition training as a nutritionist or a dietitian would. So unless that person went out and got a whole other certification or degree in nutrition, the odds that they're going to be as well equipped to handle this kind of stuff, like the nitty gritty stuff that we talk about, it's, it's iffy. Um, but I think that they're well intentioned. I think that like, you know, I've seen MDs, for example, like kind of go from conventional and then like, I meet them at their first IFM conference and they're like, my mind is blown. Nutrition does stuff. Whoa. Yeah. Probiotics work. <laughs> Literally, and and like they're so pumped and like they they want to bring this to the world, but like they don't have that foundation of that training. They're like, oh, we had like a one hour nutrition lecture one time in medical school eight years ago, but then they get so acutely excited and jump uh, like pumped up at a conference that they're like, I'm going to bring nutrition to the world. Healthy eating matters, and then yeah. that's kind of where you know the companies are like, oh, here here's this handout. Don't worry about it. Just have people follow our diet plan. And and that practitioner is just like, okay, like, cool. Right. I'm like overwhelmed with the prospect of changing literally everything about the way I practice. So of course, I'm going to take those resources and tools and I'm going to try to use them. But, you know, even amongst, you know, amongst people with IBS, like how many people do you have that actually follow the exact same diet? Hardly any. Like, I have some patients who have to be more mindful of oxalates. I have some patients who need to be more mindful about histamine. I have some people who genuinely are sticking to low FODMAP right now. I have some people who are doing combo diets. I have some people where I'm just like, eat all the plant foods you can. Go for it. Right. And, like, even within the world of having the same diagnosis, it 
there needs to be some tailoring because humans are just different. Um, right, yeah. right. And I think, like, I, I even think back back in my own journey to, like, the functional practitioner that I worked with first. Um, again, I just don't think we jived from the beginning. Mm. But they gave me this very strict meal plan that was, like, essentially SIBO-specific. It was, like, the combo yeah. of the SCD and low FODMAP. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I'm like dead set on like getting rid of this thing. I'm going to do yeah. it hardcore. Okay. Continue to lose weight. Continue to feel awful on mm-hmm. this diet. Kept coming back and like never really suggested a dietary shift over time. And again, like getting seriously like underweight for my size. And yeah. uh, I remember one day he was just like, why don't you try like some hummus? Like after I did, haven't been eating any of this stuff like for a while and how triggering that was to me mm. like seems like like what do you mean like i'm I, this diet was supposed to be like it you know like i can't just mm. go ahead and add beans in like that's that's gonna feed SIBO or whatever like i got into that mindset hardcore yeah and i think that that's probably a struggle too for for some practitioners to to have the guy the the ability to guide someone on like the process of reintroduction from a mindset but yeah. also uh, a physiological standpoint yep. like I-, I think both of those things are are can be hard to overcome so um even that process of like if you know the diet's a little bit limiting and you want to experiment like it- it's not as simple as Knowing just telling someone sometimes like oh you just throw in a couple more things like if their mindset's not right yeah um well and if they're terrified too right like right they got yeah, SIBO I- diet trauma yeah, well, and even just, like, within the world, the FODMAP world, like, okay, what food do you start with? Like, I I mean, I have different ways of doing it with different people, but oftentimes if we're trying to be really strategic and we're really thinking that we have to kind of tiptoe through this reintroduction process, as an example, I won't have people start with onion and garlic right away because right. those are, like, really FODMAP-y. I mean, on on the scale of, like, how much FODMAPs something has, I mean, like, onion and garlic are pretty freaking high up there. And I wouldn't have them start with wheat either. Um, But, like, maybe I have them start with, I don't know, like, an apple slice or, you know, an eighth of an avocado. Like, I'd almost, you could even pick, like, it's not just this free-for-all of, oh, just, like, throw shit in whenever. Oftentimes. And I could, I do the same thing, like, with the oxalates, with the histamine. Like, there are things that have a lot of histamine, and there are things that have, like, a medium amount. And if you kind of go about it in the right way, it could be done. But if you start your reintroduction with, like, the most histamine-laden food ever, you're going to hate life, possibly. Right, right. Um, like, you wouldn't start with sauerkraut or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Like, don't don't start there. Um, but I do find that, too. And this is maybe a good point to wrap up with, is that... <sighs> And I've seen this too. I think that the effort to make nutrition easier and more palatable also comes from that there's a lot of people who, frankly, are not willing to put in the work that it's required. Um, And this is probably not like our viewership because people who have IBS and they've tried low FODMAP, they've tried a CD, they've tried whatever, like you people are probably like willing to do practically anything. But, you know, when I was working with people who didn't have IBS and they had like maybe Hashimoto's or something, not anything against those people, but 
I did have some patients where like I literally recommended, hey, try to go gluten free for like a month. And you would have thought I asked them to barbecue their own eyeballs and eat them. Like there was just they they were like, what? And it gets really frustrating from the clinician side because like I care about your health and I think this would really, really help you. But you're not willing to do the thing. Like, why are you paying me money if you're not willing to do the thing? Like, I don't get what my role is in life anymore. Like, why why are you talking to me even? And uh, just like, and I've seen it too. Like, Whole30 is a great example of this. I think every person I've ever talked to, that I can think of in my mind at least, every person I've ever talked to who mentions, well, I did a Whole30 once, every single time they say, well, I did the Whole30, but when I got to the reintroduction phase, I just didn't do that. Like they'll, they'll do the elimination part of it and they'll like muster through the 30 days and they'll push through the 30 days. But when it gets to the actual process, the part where you listen to your damn body, right? Like when you start reintroducing stuff one at a time, that's when you have the opportunity to listen finally. And it's, that's like the most insightful part of the whole 30. Right. Every single person I've ever talked to is like, well, I did a whole 30 once. And I'm like, oh, how did that go? And they're like, oh, yeah, it was pretty. Uh, oh, well, I didn't do the reintroduction page. I just like I had pizza the next day. And I was like, why? Right. <laughs> you right. missed out on this huge opportunity. And that is, you know, I, I do see some people are in that space. And if you're not sick and miserable enough that you want to like do the whole 30 the correct way, like I kind of get that. But also you're just not going to get any value out of that experience then. Um, if you're going to do the difficult thing of like eliminating all those foods for a period of time, you might as well do the reintroduction with some yeah. effort and thought behind it. Otherwise, like, what, what was the point? Um, right. I think it's that gray area, that, the gray area that gets a little bit tricky. Like mm-hmm. even with low FODMAP, like the reintroduction gets tricky. Like they know how to be off of FODMAP and on FODMAP. But like, what's that weird in between where I'm like figuring out on yeah. my own? Uh, what works and what doesn't. And and I think, I I will say too, I I did want to make this quick point before I have to jump off. I do think that typically people can have some wiggle room. So like going back to that sugar, us talking about sugar, like I don't think sugar is necessarily evil. I think everyone's going to have, you don't have to have a perfect diet. Um, so I don't think that's usually my goal with, with my clients at all is for them to be perfect. It's more like, okay, if you can eat 80 to 90% this way and then have like, you know, 10%, uh, wiggle room. room, Yes. The wiggle room, I think is key. I, I, I do think that that typically helps with like being able to stay on a a diet, um, or like making a lifestyle switch to a particular style of eating. Um, yeah. And kind of getting attuned to that, having some wiggle room, I think reduces stress around like uh, eating healthier, and you know, still having like a little bit of treats. Yeah. It's not, it's not wrong to treat yourself. I think that that can be super, yeah. super important too. And it depends yeah. on where you're at in your journey too. So maybe like you have ten percent wiggle room if you're kind of in the midst of of yeah. IBS and things like that, and then you can extend it to like twenty percent as you get better. And everyone's going to be a little bit different of what foods can be counted in the wiggle room uh, foods. Yeah. But um, like for me, gluten cannot be in the wiggle room. Right. Exactly. Ever. Like, exactly. It's just that's how it uh, that's how it has to be. That's how so the cookie crumbled. 
Yeah, there are the gluten-free cookie for me. Yeah. But yeah, you know, it's, I think there's, there's no pure nutritional evil and there's no pure nutritional good. I think that there's general templates. Again, I really like eat food, not too much, mostly plants. I think that that's a good template for like 99% of humanity. Yeah. Um, And then there's going to be caveats and nuances. Like, again, like some people have to be a little bit more mindful of the histamine. Some people need more fiber than the average bear. And like, it's just you have to kind of figure out what your body craves, what it needs, and try to to whatever ability you can, just try to tune in and listen to your body again. And we, you know, in this day and age, we have been taught from a very young age to not listen to our body. And it's hard to get back in tune with that when you've lived your life up until this point, ignoring your body and its cues or judging it. Like, oh, I have a headache. My stupid body has a headache. Or like, oh, my gut is... Why don't you digest your food anymore? Right. Like, this very, like, blamey, like, if you do listen to your body, you're going to lash back out at it, kind of. Um, right. I see I, that I do quite think, a lot, too. I, I think the one I hear a lot, too, is, like, I'm a sugar addict. Like, I do, yeah. or, like, I am I crave sugar. And sometimes that that can be a blood sugar that I, I'm usually flagged of like, okay, we need to make sure that there's not blood sugar swinging. Yeah. It's not, it's not only just blood sugar, but sometimes people are like, oh, I'm like craving sugar all the time. And then we're looking at their diet and it's not sufficient in carbs. It's not sufficient in overall calories. So like, of course their body would be like, oh, you're craving Baby. carbs. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. So yeah. you're exactly right. Listening to those cues sometimes is harder with, with all the noise out there. Yeah, yeah, and I think for everything that the internet has given us, for which I'm grateful, it it can make life a bit more confusing, especially when it comes to your health. Um, but Amy, my dear, we have to wrap up like nowish because we're going to go talk to Bree about her gut. So, guys, again, this is a two part week. This is uh, one episode. I don't know what number we're on anymore. Um, so, this is one episode. Our musings. And now we're going to uh, jump over and talk to Brie about her gut health. She was the winner from our New Year's contest that we did on Instagram. Holler at us at what ibs.freedom.podcast on Instagram. And you know the drill. If you're watching this on YouTube, please give us a thumbs up or an arrow up or whatever it is on YouTube. Subscribe, <laughs> comment, do whatever you do on YouTube. And if you are listening on iTunes or a podcasting app, if you could give us five stars, that would be fantastic and that would help us reach more people so uh amy i will see you momentarily let's go talk hey guys dr deneza here so when we recorded this mini episode we told you that we would have another episode dropping this week where we spoke with brie our contest winner but the audio came out really kind of craptacular for that so we're actually not going to post it as an audio episode that's going to be a youtube exclusive episode you'll have to kind of bear with some subpar audio quality from that but it's still a worthwhile conversation. We had a lot of fun talking with Brie and helping her with her irritable bowel syndrome symptoms and IBS, SIBO stuff. So if you could go ahead and check that out, that is on YouTube. And the YouTube channel is the same name as the podcast. It's the IBS Freedom Podcast channel on YouTube. And while I've got you here, I wanted to let you know that I'm going to be doing a webinar, Three Keys to Ensuring SIBO Success. That is going to be next week, uh, starting on February 15th, 2021. If you would like more information, I'm going to be posting on my Instagram page at Triangle Guts, G-U-T-S, 
and that is, uh, I almost said .com. Oh my God, I'm so old. Uh, Instagram is at triangleguts.com. I am not that old. And uh, I will be posting some information about that webinar and how you can register and check that out. But it's called Three Keys to SIBO Success. And I think it's going to be really, really helpful. So if you'd like to check that out, I will be posting information on my Instagram profile this week. And hopefully I'll see you there. But in the meantime, go ahead and check out our YouTube channel with that interview with Bree. And you can see a little bit of us in action. We're kind of tag teaming the, the appointment and helping Bree with her IBS and SIBO symptoms. Take care.